This is an ABC podcast. The quality of our relationships determine the quality of our life. I once worked for a manager who said to me, the bucket of shit is hanging over your head. One of the things people often ask me is, should I quit? Has this gotten to the point where it's just untenable? I decided to step down from my management role because it was a very toxic environment. If I take my own advice, these are the three things I would do. And all I could think was, but I don't want to do it. They're the one who's created this problem. (laughs) We don't want everyone to necessarily have the same personality or be the same because it encourages conformity. It's the differences that make things interesting, that allow us to produce good work. If you are feeling the physical, emotional signs of stress, do not suffer needlessly. Sound familiar? We've all been there, working with someone you just clash with. It's tense, it's stressful, and it's exhausting. But do we have to get along to do our jobs? Or is it best for us just to make peace with that difficult person? Because, of course, we're not that difficult person, are we? Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, how to work with anyone, even Even difficult difficult people. people. Oh, hang on, Amy, you go. Sure. I'm Amy Gallo, the author of Getting Along, How to Work with Anyone, Even Difficult People. Amy, you do pride yourself on being able to work with anyone, but even you met your match in one job, someone so difficult, even you found it hard. What happened? Oh, this was a boss who I actually had been warned that she was challenging to work with. And I thought, well, no, I'm pretty good at handling people like that. That'll be fine. And it was about three months in where I thought, oh, I can't do this. I can't do it. She micromanaged. She reviewed everything I did with a fine tooth comb. She had critiques that just seemed really off base. And she also had a habit of talking badly about our coworkers to me, which I had to assume she was talking badly about me to them. And, you know, she just was really challenging for me. And I, like I said, I was ready to quit. Oh, wow. And so what did you try and change in that relationship then? Well, interestingly, the only thing I was truly able to change was the way I interacted with her and and my mindset about her. And because I realized that she was likely operating from a place of insecurity. She, you know, had, had some probably some perfectionism that she was dealing with, something I relate to. But I wasn't going to change those things, right? She had a whole career behind her. She was very successful and despite the way she was managing others. So I didn't feel I had the power or really the authority to force her to change or even convince her to change. So I focused on what I could do. And that was to think differently about my interactions with her rather than take it personally, right? Her perfectionism or her micromanaging wasn't that I my work wasn't good. It was her need to feel secure or her need to feel like she could trust me. And so 
once I sort of saw this as her issue and not mine, it was much easier to interact with her. And truthfully, it became less of a power struggle, which is really what we were caught in was who's right, whose detail orientation was the was the right way to be, you know, is it okay to call me at 6pm and ask me to do something by 8am the next morning? As soon as I saw that as her need to control and micromanage, it became less stressful. I won't say it wasn't stressful, but it became less stressful for me to interact with her. How long did you end up staying in that job? I stayed about, I think it was another, almost another full year after that. And it really, you know, it wasn't my favorite job. I I had my eye on other positions and opportunities the whole time, I'll, I'll be honest. But it just wasn't torture in the way it was in those first three months. And so I was able to right size our interactions and our relationship in the scheme of my whole work life. I had other coworkers who I loved interacting with, right? And I focused on those relationships. I had a young kid and a vibrant young family that I was taking care of and friends and community. And I really focused on the sum total of my relationships is very positive. And this one albeit very negative relationship, did not need to color my entire life. I mean, how common is it that we end up working with someone we find difficult? Oh, it is extremely common. Depending on what sort of surveys or research you look at, it's anywhere, you know, when you ask people, have you worked with someone who's toxic or have you worked with someone who's challenging? I saw a survey recently saying, do you work with a terrible coworker? It's always in the 90 to 95% yes, right? So many people believe they work with someone who is difficult and it's just a universal experience. I'm sort of a little saddened by how well the book has been doing because I do think <laughs> it just speaks to a universal need. And what does that tell us? Well, I think it tells us that human beings are messy. And <laughs> you know, and that and that, you know, someone asked me the question once, is it the same person at work? So like if if I asked five people in one organization, do you work with someone difficult? And they said yes, would they all be talking about the same person? And I don't my research for the book does not indicate that's necessarily true. I think it's often about the interaction or the dynamic between me and someone else. It's not that someone else is just universally difficult. Now, there are universally difficult people, um, (laughs) but I think it's more about what pushes our buttons, what we find annoying, a clash of values or a clash of expectations about how we behave in the workplace, or even a clash of cultures. You know, and so it's not necessarily about there's always someone difficult. It's just that as humans, we're not always going to see eye to eye. And that's very uncomfortable for us. And then we start to tell ourselves stories about, you know, that person's bad and I'm good or uh, they're wrong and I'm right. And that becomes then this narrative about them being difficult. Amy, you have deep expertise in handling conflict resolution. So what is a fundamental flaw when it comes to handling difficult relationships? Mm, a couple things I'll point to. One of the biggest mistakes I think people make when they're thinking about their coworkers is that they believe that they are seeing things perfectly clearly and that if someone doesn't see it the same way, that they're misinformed, that they have the wrong values, that they're just plain wrong. And that's something called, you know, naive realism. That's what we call it in social psychology, which is this belief that we can see the truth 
And what we're seeing is as accurate, when in reality, there are so many ways to view an interaction, an email exchange, a meeting. And so one of the mistakes we make is to just get so wedded to our perspective of the situation that we forget that there's many other perspectives. And really unhooking from that narrative or that story we've told ourselves about why we don't get along with this person, why that meeting turned into a shouting match, why this email has gotten so snarky that we can't get, you know, get out of it is not necessarily true. And one of the most important questions I think we can ask ourselves is what if I'm wrong? What's another way of seeing this? If I put myself in the other person's shoes or someone else's shoes who's outside this dynamic, how would they see it? And that that can help loosen up our grip on the idea that they're difficult, I'm easygoing, for example. I see it visually sometimes as standing side by side with the person looking into that issue or the problem rather than sort of looking at each other and having that win-lose feeling yes. about relationship. That's exactly right. And actually, there's some interesting research. It's theoretical now. It hasn't been studied empirically yet, but is is that when you are trying to resolve a conflict with someone, taking a walk with them actually can help loosen up that conflict or or help resolve it because you're actually shoulder to shoulder looking forward. Even that physical stance can help get into that mindset that you're talking about, which is that we're equals trying to get a path forward. We're not on opposite ends of a rope trying to pull each other to the other side. Hi, my name is Julia May, and I'm a co-founder of Visibility Co. I once worked for a manager who said to me, the bucket of shit is hanging over your head when we'd missed something in planning. And the bucket of shit is hanging over your head has stuck in my head for the 15 years hence as the worst thing anyone ever said to me in a work context, but especially a manager. Uh, It obviously made me feel incredibly isolated and as though the mistake was my fault and that also I wasn't supported in that, in rectifying it, uh, and I felt like I was going to be thrown under the bus. So unfortunately, that was a pattern of behaviour with that manager and I ended up leaving not long after. Hi, my name is Laura. I worked as an assistant manager at a high-end retail brand. We had one team member who I was managing who constantly was late to work every morning, dismissive of showroom procedures, and then on one occasion leaving work in the middle of the day without notification. And because of this, um, it was very difficult to work with this particular person, to manage them and to communicate with them. When I had the opportunity to sit down with the team member and explain my concerns, I was called a bully. I sought the advice and guidance from our HR team. After this meeting, I felt very insecure about my role at the showroom and doubted myself as a manager. Working with this person alongside them every day, moving forward was awful. It made me feel just almost like I was being bullied on a daily basis. Over five months without hearing from the HR department, I was at a loose end. So I decided to step down from my management role because it was a very toxic environment. It was such an ordeal, I wouldn't know how to approach the situation in the future and whether it's worth affecting my mental health. 
Amy, what would you say, though, about the feeling that why do I have to be the adult in this relationship, that feeling of resentment of why do I have to be the one looking at my own behaviour? Maybe it is just the other person is, you know, difficult and annoying. (laughs) I have a lot of empathy for that, for that view. And I will say, this actually even happened to me this week. There was something I I knew I needed to resolve with a colleague. And I I knew if I take my own advice, these are the three things I would do. And all I could think was, but I don't want to do it. They're the one who's created this problem. Like, I don't want to solve it. They should just be a better person. I remember even having that thought. Like, if they were less annoying, I wouldn't have to do anything. And so I have empathy for that. And at the same time, I always feel better about myself if I actually take proactive steps. And I don't have to see that as extending a, you know, a ma- huge amount of energy or compromising my values. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying it takes someone to shift the dynamic. And if your goal ultimately is to do your job better, to experience less stress at work, and to have positive relationships wherever you work, in your life, in, in your office, then it's worth the effort to try to improve the relationship even if it truly is their responsibility to get their act together. Amy, in your book, you identify eight archetypes of difficult people at work. Why did you think it was useful to break it down into archetypes? I have mixed feelings about the archetypes because in my fearful moments, I worry that people are going to use them as dismissive labels, right? And as I say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's, oh, I figured out my boss is You're the, a dot, dot, dot. Exactly. <laughs> and now I don't have to interact with you. I'm done with you, right? This is, this is, I'm just, you, you're the problem and I have a label for you. So now you're really the problem, right? And confirmation bias then comes in. So if I think of you as passive aggressive, then everything you say, I'm going to see through that passive aggressive lens and be like, yep, that's right. Look, Lisa's passive aggressive. Like I thought. <laughs> there she is again. Exactly. Passive aggressive. <laughs> that's right. But the reason I did focus on the archetypes is because so much of the advice out there about dealing with difficult people is very generic. And it sort of It's meant to apply to any type of difficult person. And what I knew is that there was lots of research, evidence-based tactics about dealing with specific patterns of behavior. So pessimism, you know, office playing, someone who plays office politics, someone who's biased toward you, someone who's passive aggressive. And I wanted to give people the specific advice they needed to change the dynamic with those specific coworkers. And so the archetypes were a real way for people both to recognize what they're dealing with, sort of a self-diagnostic of, okay, this is the pattern of behavior I see in my colleague, and then deliver tactics as well as sample language, you know, research that shows how to actually address that behavior in a way that that is productive and ideally changes that dynamic. Can you briefly name the eight? Yes, of course, yes. There's the insecure boss, the pessimist, the victim, which is sort of a flavor of the pessimist, the passive-aggressive peer, the know-it-all, the biased coworker, the tormentor, and the political operator. And you have nuanced approaches for each of those archetypes, but you have some general tips for getting along with anyone at work. Can you share some? 
Yeah, I have nine principles and I won't I won't go through each one, but let me share a couple of my favorite. Number one is, and this actually isn't number one in the book, but it's sort of number one in my mind, which is to be aware of your bias. There's a temptation to label someone difficult because they don't look like you, they don't act like you, they come from a different background. And I think we have to be really careful when we're dealing with difficult colleagues or challenging colleagues that we're not unfairly interpreting their behavior through our specific cultural lens. And we're really asking ourselves if this person had a different gender, different race, different background, would I still have the same judgment about their behavior? That bias also comes into play in the tactics that we use. That's why I try to share some more indirect tactics as well as direct tactics, because not everyone is allowed in the workplace to be as direct as as others. So we really have to keep that in mind. Another of the principles I really come back to over and over in my own life is the idea that we need to experiment. I wish I could tell you there's a five-step approach to getting your passive-aggressive peer to be more straightforward, but it's rarely going to be that simple. Instead, you have to sort of decide, okay, from this menu of tactics, which ones do I want to try out? And then you try out one or two, see how it works, learn what you can learn, refresh your approach and try again. And one of the frustrating things is sometimes a strategy really works. And then three months in, it stops working. And so it's a constant, (laughs) you know, it's a constant experimentation that you're trying to figure out what can shift this dynamic, what works in certain contexts, what works in this unique situation, And then sort of have that scientist mindset. What did I learn? What worked? What didn't? And then try again. I was just thinking that it reminds me of that principle uh, that we started with, which is humans are messy. Yes, (laughs) that's right. And so just bearing that in mind. That's right. That's right. And humans are messy because we're different. And it's the differences. This has sadly become trite, but it's the differences that make things interesting, that allow us to produce good work that are so important in challenging us to learn and grow and figure out different ways to interact with different people. And and yet those differences sometimes just feel like thorns in our side. And so, <laughs> yes, we're, we're messy. Yes, we're not going to see eye to eye all the time. We're not going to agree on the way things should be done, whether it's okay to be five minutes late to a meeting, you know, whether it's better to email or text. Like, you know, we have all of these messy, silly debates about the way we should interact with one another. But if we prioritize, you know, kindness and compassion and respect for one another, I think that we can navigate that messiness in a way that's that's fruitful for everyone involved. Hi, my name is Kathy Ngo. I'm an HR and communications consultant. I think it helps definitely to get along with people at work. However, you don't have to get along with everyone. You don't have to love everyone in order to kick it at work. We don't want everyone to necessarily have the same personality or be the same because it encourages conformity. A thing that people don't realise is that diversity can actually cause chaos. I mean, it's like you're having a whole bunch of people with different opinions in the same room. There's bound to be some sort of fight, not a real physical one-on-one fight or anything. And I think it's okay, just as long as we can really respect each other and um, acknowledge each other's uh, contribution. So it's important that you acknowledge that everyone in the workplace is different 
and you don't necessarily have to love everyone but you do need to learn how to adapt your style with other people's style and kind of meet halfway. Amy, can you give me another one of your favourite principles? Yeah, this is actually, anytime I have a conflict, this is one I, I really go to, which is that what is my goal, right? What am I actually trying to achieve here? And I, I will admit, the first thing I think when I'm like, what's my goal here? It's like, well, I'm going to show I'm right and they're wrong and then they'll have to listen to me. <laughs> but that's a terrible goal <laughs> because if we both show up set to prove that we're both right, you have nowhere to nowhere to go together. So really think about what is it you need either from your interaction with this person or from your relationship with this person? Is it that you need to just get this project done on time and under budget, right? Or is it that you want to be able to interact with your pessimistic colleague without getting a stomachache every time from their naysaying, right? Or is it that you need to have a strong relationship with your boss because you know your career at the organization depends on it? Focus on what your primary goal is and let that guide your behavior. Don't let sort of short term, I want to be right. I want them to know their behavior is unacceptable. You know, I want to win with my political operator, whatever those short term goals, sort of put those aside, you know, be self-compassionate. It's normal to have those thoughts and feelings, but put those aside and then really focus on what it is you need from that relationship or that interaction. And Amy, if all else fails, what is the two-minute drill? (laughs) The two-minute drill. So if all else fails, and this should be clear, that primary for you, and one of your primary goals is to protect yourself mentally and emotionally, because it is really stressful sometimes to be dealing with these people, especially someone who's dehumanizing or undermining you or, you know, putting your career at risk. So one of the most important things when things sort of don't work, you've done all that experimentation, is to set boundaries. So the two-minute drill is to tell yourself, what is the thing I need from this person and how do I get it in the shortest amount of time? Right. So if your pessimistic colleague, every time you go in to talk to them, has this litany of complaints, you stand outside their office or you take a deep breath before you get on a Zoom call with them and you say, okay, this is what I need. Let me get it and then get out. And you don't have to be rude, but have a few set phrases in your pocket so you can say, oh, you know what? I I promised our boss I'd send that email. I'm going to go now. Right. Just whatever you need to not expose yourself to the treatment or the negativity over and over so that you're protecting your well-being. Why do you think it's folly to try and ignore the situation? So just say, hey, it's just work. Well, there is decades of research that shows that the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our life. And that's true of your relationships with your family, with your spouse, with your friends, and with your coworkers. So just sort of allowing this negative relationship to fester or to cause you stress is going to affect the quality of your life. Number two, the research has shown the more positive our relationships are in the workplace, the more productive we are, the more resilient we are, the better performance reviews we get. There's just so many positive outcomes from at least neutralizing some of the negative relationships and certainly making those relationships as positive as possible. Amy, what's your final message to people about how to work with anyone, even difficult people? I will say that one of the things people often ask me is, should I quit? 
has this gotten to the point where it's just untenable? And I go back to the, the need to really protect yourself. If you are feeling the physical, emotional signs of stress and it, you've tried in good faith to make the situation better, do not suffer needlessly. Start polishing up your resume, making some connections. I can't promise it's going to be better somewhere else. I can't promise you're not going to have another difficult coworker. You probably will. But if you are really suffering, there's no reason to just continue in that relationship. You hopefully have options, and I encourage you to exercise them. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Lisa. This has been really great. Thanks to my guests and to sound engineer, Carrie Dell. And thanks to producer Zoe Ferguson, who's grateful that she hasn't been told there's a bucket of shit over her head. This working life is made on the lands of the Bidjigal people of the Darug Nation and the Wiradjuri people of the Kulin Nation. And if this episode brought up anything for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can also get help from the Fair Work Ombudsman if a situation is really troubling you. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. I've been doing a lot of these since the book came out, and this just was felt fresh for some reason. I really, really enjoyed it, so thank you. Is it because we started with karaoke? <laughs> <laughs> it actually might be. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.